Hello, hello, my name is Michael, and I welcome you to What's Your Career, where careers are examined one at a time. I welcome Jennifer Palomine, a former stay-at-home mom who started an elementary school teaching career. Jennifer deeply cares about her students, which is why she absolutely loves her job. She discusses some hot topics in the teaching world, including standardized tests and teaching online. Find out what she thinks about the future of teaching, as well as the keys to becoming a successful teacher by listening to this interview. Jennifer Palamine, it's great to have you here with us. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I am I really am excited about this. Good. So let's hear, who are you, where do you live, and what do you do? Oh, I live in West Jordan, Utah, which is just outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. I've been there for nine years now. Um, I'm the mother of five children. I have three wonderful grandchildren that I get to see regularly, two married children, two children still at home, and one off in Portland, Oregon. Awesome. So what's your, what, what do you do for a career? Uh, my current career is an elementary school teacher. I currently am teaching second grade, and I've been doing that for, let's see here, I've done that five of the nine years that I have been, five of, oh, six of the nine years. I just finished my sixth year teaching second grade. Okay, so overall, nine years teaching, and I assume before that you didn't work because you were raising five children, is that right? Yes, I stayed home raising all five kids as long as I could, and then did my finished my schooling. I like to say I was on the 25-year plan and got my bachelor's degree um, before 25 years. Okay, all right. I want to dig into all of that, but uh, let me ask you a couple of questions real quick first. Um, so you said you've been you've been working for nine years as a teacher. Uh, during those nine years, how would you rate the role of being a teacher from one to ten? One being terrible and ten being just the dream job. Well, I'd have to say probably about an eight at, until this upcoming year because this upcoming year, actually, I get to change a little bit in my position. And it's kind of my dream job. I think it's really what I want to do. And, you know, I'll go go from teaching solely in person to teaching online with some in-person options for students so for those students that really need that online experience mm, okay i've got a lot of questions about that but we'll we'll get there because that you know COVID has obviously played an important role in how schools work and uh anyway i'm excited to hear your perspective on all of that and how things are changing and have changed um but how would you rate um how happy you are at your job obviously you're dealing with young children and i would assume that that affects kind of how you would rate your happiness at your job. So how would you rate it from one to 10? Oh, well, you know, I've always loved kids. So working with the kids and seeing some of the things that I get to see in them and when they really get that, you you can get that happiness up to a nine, tense. Some days are tense, but you always have those couple days where you're just like, oh, what am I into? But for the most part, it's a nine or 10 for me. That's awesome to hear. I know there's a lot of teachers out there that are unhappy. But it sounds like you're not one of them. You're a happy teacher. You love what you do. You're, you're more or less in your dream position. So uh, awesome. Congrats. That's that's a goal that I think everyone needs to achieve is, is get to that level of happiness that you're at with your career. So congratulations on that. So to get into teaching, I know you need a degree, right? So tell me a little bit about your education, maybe back up to when you were you know, much younger and, and how has life taken you? Uh, and when did you get your degrees and when did you start teaching and all of that? Okay, well, I graduated high school in 1990. So that was, what, is that 31 years ago? Yep. Now I think it's about what it is. And um, I went to community college for a couple of semesters, then moved around a lot for a few years and just went to community colleges off and on, trying to just get the basics in. My, I always wanted to be a teacher. That is what I started out as. And I actually had a teeny, 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 tiny scholarship because of that, that I had gotten right out of high school. It was, you know, covered the books. It's got all it covered, but it was hey, still a junior college. <laughs> it's something. It's something. Anything helps. It was a little bit something. And I took a lot of years. And then um, about 1997, as I 
found that I really had to get into the workforce to raise two children somewhat on my own, you know, um, I went back to school and actually took a little detour in my school and because I couldn't spend four years finishing up my teaching degree. because so I probably only had about a year of the, you know, a year and a half of the basics done. So I took a little detour and actually got a associate's degree in network technology and the internet. So in computer science and then, you know, remarried and didn't have to work. So I got to go back to staying home with my kids after soon after hmm. that to raise them. But I still had that degree to fall back on if it was needed. Okay. Awesome. Um, but you didn't, it sounds like you didn't actually get a job in that space in computer science. Is that accurate? Exactly. I did not. I, I was good at it. It wasn't, it wasn't my dream job. It was a job that I felt that I could raise two kids by myself and be able to support us with child support and stuff and be able to survive for the three of us at that time. But then life took me a little different direction. And when I finished, I didn't have to use that degree. I used it for personal reasons. I used it for it to help friends with computers, to help at my own house, different things like that. But I never really worked in that degree. Right. Okay. So fast forward to when you maybe you went back to school and did end up getting your, your teaching degree. Oh, when was that? Let's see. It was about 2011. So about 2007, eight, I think is about when I started back in. Um, so that would mean that my oldest was about 14, 15, I'm thinking he was at that time. And we had, I had the five children at that time. And so I did most of it online through university of Phoenix, just because it was too expensive to put my younger kids in daycare for me to finish school, but we felt like it was the right time. And so I finished in my oldest child graduated high school, June of 2011. And he graduated on a Friday night and I finished my last class on that next Monday. So I kind of, we always joked around that we, I got my bachelor's, he got his high school same time and thought I'd get my master's as he finished his bachelor's, but that, that didn't happen, but that's okay. (laughs) But you know, so 2011, um, I was living in Oregon at the time, but Oregon didn't have jobs. They didn't have teaching jobs available and you had to have a master's to stay in the teaching field in Oregon. They required that. Now you could get it in the first few years, but so I substituted for a year and then found my current position and started there in August of 2012 and have been there for nine years until this past June where I will be changing schools next year. Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. Cool story. Um, so in that time when you graduated college and you were looking to get your first job as a teacher, um, did you have to get some certifications? What was required other than a bachelor's degree to go into teaching? There was a bachelor's degree and it was in education. I did get the early childhood. It was like pre-K through eight was my original degree. And I, because I was through university of Phoenix, I had to actually get a teaching license and, jump through all their hoops to get a license in Arizona, which required several praxis tests and different tests throughout that you had to pay for and pass. Luckily, I can take tests pretty well, so I didn't have to repeat any. (laughs) Yeah, that's nice. But, you know, if you're not a good test taker, sometimes those can be hard. You can know your stuff and be great at it. But when they put you on that test, it just doesn't show what you really know. So, um, So I got my Arizona license, finally got that, and then I had to transfer it to Oregon where we were living at the time to get my Oregon license. And once I had my Oregon license, I was able to substitute in Oregon. So that's why I was a substituted for that first year before moving. And then of course I had to again mm-hmm. transfer my license when I moved to Utah so that I had a license in Utah. And so for two years I had a license, a teaching license in three different states. And that probably cost you some money, some time and effort. It does. It does. I mean, luckily now some of that money, you know, in Utah, they've, you know, waived some of those fees and things and they cover those fees in Utah. But yeah, each of those tests was a problem. I was always worried that when I transferred, I'd have to take a different test for that new state. So I was a little concerned about that. But luckily I had taken everything I needed for the first two licenses when we transferred to Utah. Awesome. 
Okay, so we've kind of got the history now. Uh, now I want to know what you actually do. And let's talk about your, your main job teaching second graders before we jump into your new role. Um, so teaching second graders primarily, how many hours a week did you work? What did you do? Were you up late at night? Uh, what were the best things about the job, the worst things about the job? I'd love to hear all of those details because a lot of people – know what teaching is on the surface, right? Everybody went to school, everybody had teachers. And so they have that perception of what teaching is. But really, I think people don't understand, myself included, everything that a teacher actually does and all of the sacrifices and hard work that goes into teaching. So I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Okay, it is not a nine to five job. It is not the kids show up at 8.30 and go home at three o'clock and you're done. No, there is lots of prep work in advance. You've got to think about what what each individual student in your class may need, and it changes from year to year. Um, I would get to school, you know, usually about a half an hour before I was supposed to be there, so about an hour before kids. That was my time to set up the classroom, make sure I had all my supplies for the day ready and at hand. Um, and, of course, there was that lesson planning. Um, just because I have a textbook to teach out of doesn't mean I don't have to plan some lessons. Here's the teach book. Here's here's the teacher's book. Here's the you know manual and everything. But you got to figure out the right way to teach those students. And my all nine years, I have been continued some kind of schooling in some part to become a better teacher. So you are always constantly doing something. The first year teaching was probably the hardest because. I was new. I had to start from start scratch. Um, my second year was, again, another hard year because I decided to change grades, which is, you know, was a good thing for me. I started in fourth grade and was able to switch to second grade that next year. And that was awesome to be able to do that. But I had to relearn a different curriculum. You have to know the standards. What is expected for those students that year? What do they need to know? And you have to really understand that language. And it's not easy. And then it's not the same way as I was taught in school. Mm, yeah, interesting. So the teaching is very different than what I had as a student. When I was in elementary school, there are so many different things. And it's interesting to think that I know a lot of parents have struggled with it, and I struggled with it my, with my own kids, all these different ways of teaching, until I started teaching. And then I said, wow. Now I understand why I was taught to do math that way or why we did this at that time and trying to do that. Not only do I have to teach the students, sometimes I have to teach the parents how to do some of that because those parents <laughs> want to know. They're like, this doesn't make sense. Why? Why? But huh. we want deeper thinkers now. It's not just can you, you know, solve this problem. Do you know how and why to do it? And that actually I think is what's going to make them better at whatever they do. Not just, oh, can they do second grade math? No, can they learn on their own? Can they figure it out on their own? Where are they going with that? So I'm assuming that you think teaching methods are better today than they were 20 years ago and that, that the way you teach now is preparing students for a brighter future? I believe so. I mean, not that there was anything wrong with before, but because our our world has changed so much. We can't stick with what we've always done. It just right. doesn't work because there's different opportunities for these kids. And if they don't have that, they're going to, you know, not be able to do some of that stuff that will be expected of them after high school and college or wherever they might take themselves. Right. So, okay. That, that's interesting. And I'm glad you brought that up. That makes me think a little bit about, about when my kids start going to school and how that's going to look for me as a parent on the other side of the equation. Um, so my, my next question is, is, you know, do your best at answering it, but how would you break up your time? You know, 50% of your time is doing teaching and 20% of your time is prep, or how would you break up the actual hours that you put into your career? Well, I don't know that I can put it in percentage, but I can put it into time. Okay, okay. so about 7.30 to 8.15-ish, I'm usually prepping, setting up the classroom, any last-minute things that I need for the day. 
Then, of course, students would have normally would start about 8.20, 8.25 was when I'd start having students um, come into my classroom. So from that time until about lunchtime, which could be anywhere from 11.15 to 12.45, depending on what the lunch schedule is, that I would be teaching often that whole time. Sometimes some schools have um, extra specials, rotations, those kind of things where students um, go to another teacher and do like art or PE or those kind of things in the elementary school. just depends on the school you work at. So you'd have that break. But usually during that break, that's the time to do a little more prep, um, collaborate with other teachers, meet with the principal, those kind of things. So you're still, you may not be teaching, but you're still looking at the data and saying, how can I help these students and planning those things. Then at there's about a 40 minute, um, they call it duty free time. So 40 minutes where I'm not required to be with students. So that's the only time throughout my school day of their school time where I get my break. Hey, now if for some reason my lunch is late lunch and we didn't have a rotation in the morning or a special in the morning, I haven't had a chance to go to the bathroom. You know, those kind of things. So you have to adjust your body and do those kind of things and try and do those, which was interesting in the beginning to plan things that way. I mean, that is something that some people might think about. I didn't until I started working. Um, then some, some grades will have a morning recess before that lunchtime. Some will have an afternoon recess. And at the school I worked at, we did not have a recess aid for the morning or the afternoon recess. So one of the teachers in the grade covered that recess during that time. So you trade off. So there was still some recess duty. So at least once or twice a week, you didn't get that time free as well. Mm. And I was teaching, and again, that's only about a 15-minute recess, and teaching until about 3.05 when the students would go home. Then from 3.05 to probably 4.30, I would spend time curriculum planning, grading papers, looking at data, trying to see, okay, who's getting what, who's not understanding it, and what can I do? Arranging small groups to help students with their reading or with their writing or with their math, whatever they need to do on that, and really thinking about those students and trying to figure out what they're doing. Then, of course, I'd go home. And after I'd finished dinner with my family, sometimes, especially in the early years, I would be grading papers until late that night, too. Um, and then I'd also be doing lesson planning and stuff on the weekends quite often. But the longer I taught, the less outside of school time that I was spending time on schoolwork. I was able to fit it into that daily schedule and that daily time. That's a lot of time. That's a big commitment. Um, you know, it, it sounds like you don't have any time during the day really to, to lesson plan or to grade or to provide feedback or anything like that. And so that all falls on after school hours. And that's, that's a big ask for a teacher who's busy all day long. And, you know, I, I know teachers don't get paid the big bucks per se. They, they get paid a salary, but, um, you know, that's a big ask. And, and that's a lot of work for, um, for teachers. So thanks for sharing. So tell me about some of the best experiences you have at school and then maybe some of the worst experiences as well. Uh, some of the best experiences is when that one student, it can be just one student that year, just has that aha moment and I've been able to reach them and they just, oh, that's how it works. Mm, yeah. I understand now. You know, those are the days. And I do like some of those challenging students who may have a rougher background or a little more challenging behavior, different things, and trying to find a way to um, help them feel better about themselves, help them feel like they can be a student. There are many students out there who may not have had the best teacher prior to coming to me or have a hard home life, whatever, but being, and that often shows in their behavior. And so when I can find just the right thing that can help them learn and reach their full potential and feel good about themselves, those are the best times for me. Yeah. 
every teacher needs to have that in them. They need to be selfless. They need to care about other people improving and growing. If you don't have that, I imagine your teaching career would end quickly because you would, you just wouldn't be fulfilled in your career because th- those are the results that you get as a teacher is seeing individuals improve or, or something click in their head or a skill get developed to a certain degree. Um, and that, that, that's awesome that you share that story. So thank you for sharing. So what, what are some of the bad experiences, bad experiences? What do you hate or what do you not like about, about being a teacher? <laughs> it's not the funnest thing, you know, no, um, I, I have to be honest. I don't have, I, I like having to work with parents sometimes. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> sometimes parents can be challenging. I have become better at it. I am not a real social person. I love my second graders. I love kids, but being around adults, my own age or, you know, adults, sometimes I'm a little, you know, shy, hesitant, self-conscious, that type of thing. So I used to always fear parent teacher conferences. It's like, oh, is this parent going to think I'm doing the best for their student? I, I, you know, what am I, am I doing the best I can for them? How am I going to validate how, what I'm doing? How, you know, you're judged, you're judged on that. And everyone's judgment is a little different. And sometimes there's that one student that you cannot find the right thing. And you try and work with the parents and the parents and you can't seem to get on the same page and it just doesn't work. And that's probably the worst thing. And, but then it can come around and it feels like the worst thing. And in the end, when you and that parent finally find that right thing, it just feels like, wow, the whole world opened up for that kid, opened up for me, opened up, you know, that parent. But it's hard working with that many people because I don't just teach these students. I'm working with their parents. Sometimes I'm working with their grandparents. Sometimes it's a babysitter. Uh. You never know who you're going to have to work with depending on the situation. I mean, sometimes they're in foster care or they, they're in the process of being adopted. There's so many different facets. That's a little harder for me because I have to juggle so much more to try and make the best for that student. And I, But I always try and keep that student. And sometimes that's where I have to say, okay, I can do this. I can face this adult that scares me because any adult scares me. But <laughs> I'd rather be in front of my second grader any day um, well, but, not many people could say that. <laughs> I can. I'd rather be here with, you know, the secret. They make me laugh. They make me happy. They understand when I make mistakes. And I can turn it around in such a way that I can teach them from my mistakes. I don't feel like I have to hide any mistakes. I can say, oh, oh, Mrs. Palming just made this mistake. Ooh, but I can fix it. And this is how I'm going to fix it and teach them that life skill right there, which is something that maybe I don't have enough of. Maybe that's why I'm more fearful of adults, but that, huh. that's a little <laughs> interesting. Yeah. We don't need to go into psychology here, but uh, <laughs> I am getting better with adults, but you know, at the beginning, that's how I felt. Well, good, good. Uh, I, your response is interesting there. Obviously, Yes, working with parents can be challenging, and I can see how there could be a lot of difficult situations as, you, as you've described. But w- the thing I thought you were going to say was the administrative hoopla you've got to deal with and maybe standardized testing. That's kind of a hot topic in America right now. But uh, let me hear your take on on all of that, on the administrative side of things and the maybe maybe part of the, the, the bullying and the cyber bullying and um, also the, the standardized testing. I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on those somewhat controversial top subjects. Oh, they are controversial, aren't they? Um, yeah. But I also look at it. It's my job. It's what I'm being paid to do. So yeah, if I'm supposed to do those, I'm going to do them the best I can. Um, standardized testing. There is some merit in there. Sometimes it goes too extreme and where there's too much of it. So I think the right balance needs found. And I could not tell you what the right balance is yet. I think it's, you know, just like the way we teach has changed over the years. That's going to change over the years based on different things. But if there was no, no way to judge anything, how would you know if someone's a good teacher? Or how would you know what that student knows? Okay, there is some merit in knowing what your students understand and don't understand. 
And I think the best part of some of that is when the teacher takes that data and doesn't demean a kid or say you're not smart or that type of stuff, it takes a, this is where the student's at right now. How do I get them to where they need to be so that they can succeed? I also think, you know, yeah, I may only teach second grade, but there are some life skills that start in second grade that is gonna help them throughout the whole life. And if they don't get them then, well, even before me, it, it can be harder for them to, you know, be, do what they need to do in the world. Yeah. Do you feel, do you feel pressured by the people above you to make the kids get good test scores rather than help them be well-rounded people? Um, I've been lucky and I think the district I work with and the the administration that I've worked with, I have not felt that so strongly because we have done a lot more on thinking, okay, what does this data tell us? What do these test scores tell us? What does this tell me that the student knows? And how can I either change my teaching or help guide them to where they need to be? I mean, and I think that's the biggest thing is if you take those tests and use them for what they are is to guide your instruction. Right. That makes a big difference. But if you're using it to say, this is the end all final everything, they're not worth it. They're just, you know, that that is a teaching to the test. And there are a lot of teachers that do that. And not to say that some days I, I struggle with it. Because sometimes right. I don't want to give that test yet because my students aren't ready for it. But I have certain deadlines that I need to give this. And so I like to take the option of, okay, this is to tell me where you're at now. And we'll see what we're doing next and try and teach the students that way and show them that it's not an end all. This is where you're at. You can always improve. Yeah, that's a good attitude. So I don't want to get too far into the details of your thoughts on standardized testing and other things like that. But I do want to ask you, since this is a podcast about careers, I, I want to ask you a little bit more specifically about the salary and the growth potential of a teacher, because in my mind, teaching is a career you get into and you just kind of stay the same your whole career. You keep teaching and teaching and teaching. But in your experience, what opportunities have you seen that that you can maybe make a little more money or do something different or get a different type of experience? Um, and also, do you feel like you're getting compensated uh, more each year and you're growing in that way as well? Um, you know, I started around 30000 you know, in nine years, almost doubled that, doubled that. So, yeah, I don't feel like that's a staying kind of the same because that's a pretty good size growth, I felt. Yeah, that's and, awesome. You know, early on, it jumped up pretty quick, you know, at different times. And unfortunately, I think, unfortunately for some, fortunately for me, I guess you could say, um, the pandemic really helped some parents realize how much teachers do do. And there has, at least in the state that I'm in, in Utah, that the parents are more willing to vote for more money towards education, and that's going there. And so there has been some increases that will continue that direction. I am always learning. I, I don't think that you can be a teacher and just stay right where you're at because everything's always changing. The world's changing. New technology, new this, new that, new, new everything you need to be continuing to grow. So in those nine years, I've gone and gone, okay, I've got an ESL endorsement, a math endorsement, a STEM endorsement, I'm finishing up a tech endorsement, I've got my master's. So I have been in school almost the whole nine years in some form or another, um, as well as different PDs, um, professional development trainings that um, whatever school you work at um, expects you to take and to learn from there. You know, and I've had principals who have been willing to send me to different trainings and pay for it so that I could become better. And each of those kind of things increases, gives an opportunity for an increase in salary. So the more education I get, the higher up in that pay. You know, so if you're willing to do that education, especially early on, you can jump faster and then each year keep continuing and doing that. So it, it's got potential, especially... After this pandemic, I think when parents really have realized how much teachers have done 
and how much they do do because they couldn't do it for their students during um, the spring or some schools that continue to be online even this past year for most of the year. There are some schools that stayed online almost all year. Yeah. Well, that's awesome that you got your master's degree and you're continuing to learn and grow. And I, I, I really like that you're incentivized with money to, to continue learning and growing. Um, that, that's good to hear that the school system appreciates that their teachers are working hard and you're getting pay raises and increases that, that correspond to that. Um, one thing I, I meant to ask earlier is about summer break. I mean, you get, you get a summer break, right? And, and, you know, what do you do during summer break? And are there opportunities to earn more money, maybe doing some sort of summer schooling and things like that? Um, what do I do during summer break? Um, catch up on all that education. No. <laughs> <laughs> Start thinking about the next year. Um, yes, I do have the summers off. Um, and it depends on different years. There have been a couple of years where I've had an opportunity for a summer school. And it really depends on the school you're working at, whether they have the funding to fund that. Because... If they don't have the funding to pay me, there really isn't a summer school. Um, but I've also done different trainings. I've, you know, taken more classes during the summer, focused more on those kind of things at times. I mean, if you take this summer, for example, um, I feel like I'm still working, even though I've been out of school for three weeks now. I've been still continuing because I'm planning for next year. But this year is a difference. Last summer, I helped create um, part of a curriculum for an online piece in, in light of the possibility of needing to have some kind of online to start this past school year with. I helped create that for three weeks. And were you compensated additionally for that? Yes, I did get compensated additionally for that. There was some funding for that as well. And that's where grants come in and state funding and different things that your district, the, the state, the legislature is able to come up with those funds depending on, you know, what they can do with that. And yes, I was, but three weeks out of last summer, I spent five days a week, you know, eight to four every day working mm, plus yeah. a little bit at home, you know, just because I got really excited about it. And that's another thing when I work at home, I get really excited and into something that I'm doing that I don't want to stop. So I continue it at home. Awesome. that. Well, that's good. Um, are, do, you, do you feel like there are opportunities for you to grow into a different position altogether within the school system? Could you go be a principal, for example, or in some sort of administrative role if you get tired of teaching? Is that common or is that not really uh, a path that teachers can take? That is definitely a path that teachers can take. And I have worked with some teachers that have taken that path. I have not closed that door myself. Okay. Because I'm not sure if that's something I want. I did not realize I would um, open up for the master's when I did, but I just mm. felt like it was the right time and went forward with that master's. Um, so I kind of do it based on how I'm feeling, what kind of, you know, thoughts I'm getting. But I've, I've worked with principals that have been willing to support me in those kind of things. And I started out as just a normal, normal teacher and moved up to being a team leader on a team for several years, been working well on that, as well as I took on a digital tech type of role for my school. The pre, pre-pandemic, during the year that COVID first started, and so I was able to help train my school so that my particular elementary school was more prepared than many of the other elementary schools in our district because of some of the direction that um, I was able to encourage us to take. And that's one thing that I didn't think I was doing anything different, but that's just, you know, who I am. But I've had a vice principal um, and principal say, you know, you were instrumental in getting that going. And granted, I had an awesome team working with me as well that I just helped lead that up. And we were able to do that and because of admin that are supportive of that. Mm, that has okay. helped yeah. a lot. So I, I think it depends on, where you work, who you work with, your administration, that type of stuff. I've all, I'm like I said earlier, I am starting a new position next year with a new principal. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about that a little bit. You said it was more on the online side of things, right? So how has COVID influenced that, and what exactly is your position, and how do you feel about it? Um, I I'm excited. I am so excited. I 
was already pre-COVID, you know, pre, you know, the beginning of the school year to go back and teach in the classroom. I was sitting in my classroom and everything. And then I was asked to help to go online and teach um, 28 second graders online for the year. My district had online dedicated teachers and in-person dedicated teachers. And so we had, the district had helped, had done that. And that was the work I did note last summer that I helped with, with many other teachers. There's probably, you know, 50, 60 of us, I'm guessing, K through six that were working on that. And I was hesitant to go online, but I knew I could do it and struggled, 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 but really found that I liked it because I was able to get to know my students better this way. I was able to find their needs and know exactly and pinpoint those needs a lot easier than I was in the classroom. Not that you, a teacher can't do it in the classroom. What, what about an online setting allows you to, to connect better with individuals? Because when I have smaller groups, I don't have to um, make sure, I don't have to come up with the, something for the other kids to do and monitor them as well as try and get individualized with the smaller, with the small group. I can focus solely on that small group or that one student that I have rather than having to have part of my attention on them and part of it on the rest of the class. It's, you can balance things a little bit differently. And, you know, it's just, was different. I just felt, and I was able to get to know the parents more. They were more involved. Oh yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. And do, so, you, do you get one-on-one time with students a lot more? Is that how the, the online teaching is set up to be? Or do you just make time for that? Or is it just about the same as in the classroom? Um, there was expectations that were put on us that I didn't like because I didn't feel it was enough. Mm. So I made sure that I had more time to do some more one-on-one time with my students because I felt like I could reach them a little bit better that way. And that's, you know, one of the things with um, the principal I'll be working with next year. He's very supportive of us trying what's best for the kids and talking through that and seeing what's going to work the best for them. But we also felt that they're missing some of the social. Yeah. Online is great, but they need a little social. And not every kid needs that social. Some kids can find that social outside of school. Some need it in school. So I know the school that I'm going to be working at next year in Jordan School District at our new Jordan Virtual Academy, which is K through 12, we, um, the K through six portion will have an in-person piece if the students choose it, if the students and the parents choose it. So they'll be able to come in in person and have some in-person instruction, being with other kids in hmm. the school, do that type of stuff to help with that social, because I think that has been lacking a little bit this past year, that a lot of kids that were online for health reasons or whatever reason lacked in that. They lost that, and that was somewhat detrimental to their education. That social is key. It helps so much. Oh, absolutely. And not just for kids. I think all the employees of big companies that were sent home and are still working from home um, find themselves, you know, with more anxiety and depression because they're not around people. And I think as people, we are just wired to be with other people and to be loved and to, to be interactive uh, some people are great at not needing that, but I think the majority of people do need some of that. So that that's good that your district is allowing for those online students to come in. And how, how frequently is it? Once a week, twice a week, for a few hours, or a whole day? Or we have a couple hours Monday through Thursday every day, and we we will have a north campus and a south campus. So it, if parents want to take them all four days, they are able to sign them up and bring them to and from for those. 1 to 3.30, Monday through Thursday, or they can pick the Monday, Tuesday, or the Wednesday, Thursday, depending on the building that they'd like to go to and the location and where they're located at. So it's kind of, you know, it gives some flexibility and allows them some choice in that. Awesome. So one thing you mentioned earlier was that you taught 28 kids last year. That sounds like a lot, especially to manage in an online setting. I can just picture, you know, on a Zoom call, 28 little images of small people 
and trying to keep their attention and trying to make sure they all hear you and aren't, you know, walking away from the computer, that sounds extremely difficult. I mean, it's difficult for adults, but second graders that are only, you know, seven years old, that seems impossible. Did you feel like you were able to manage it okay? Oh, in the beginning, it was a challenge. It was a big challenge. And I did start with 28 students, but by the end, I was down to 20 to 24 the last four or five months, you know, that with students moving out or students that really needed the in-person piece to things. It wasn't anything about, you know, my teaching. I I worked real closely with my in-person teachers. And if they felt like a student really would do better online, we were able to try and move them one way or the other or do that if it was not a health issue. But a lot of it relied on parents to make sure that they had their students there. And that was very difficult for me at first because I wanted to see every single student and see exactly what they were doing. But you don't have to. You know, if they're turning the work and they're showing what they can do and they're meeting with you individually, they don't have to be on that that live session that I'm doing live with them every single day. If they don't need that instruction, there's no need to have them there. But those that I did get live, I just loved getting their faces. You had to be creative. There are many times I had to be really creative trying to get them to really engage with me. And that's been, that yeah. was my biggest learning curve this year is being creative in the online setting. Oh, yeah. So how many hours were you online with your students? Was it like a full eight-hour session or was it little 20-minute snippets here and there? Or was it, you know, one hour long chunk and then they were on their own the rest of the day? How did that work out? This last year, I had 30 to 45 minute chunks for every student for the main instruction. And then I would have about 30 to 45 minutes of small group instruction that I invite certain kids to. But then each student also had 10 minutes once a week where they were scheduled for an individual conference with me. And That's it, probably more than what you got in person, right? One-on-one, yes. There was there was no way I could have met with every single one of my students for 10 minutes once a week just dedicating to them. Yeah. And so, you know, it took some time away from planning time or different things that I had, but I just felt like it was so important to have that time with them that I scheduled that. And so it's a different type of teaching. Now, if a student was not showing up, or not turning in work, or not, you know, or turning in silly work that didn't really, that's when I was emailing or calling or talking with parents and saying, hey, what can I do to help? And that, I think that's the biggest thing. I think that's the biggest thing that I had many parents think was the best thing about online learning is that they were able to be more involved. And that I didn't just say, oh, well, if they're not going to show up, I don't have to do anything for them. I did not feel that way. It 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 was hard for me when I didn't see a kid, when I didn't see him regularly, especially those that were on there every single day, you know, and participating. I really felt like that was a key part of it all. So, you know, and if they weren't and they were having trouble with something, it's like, what can I do to help? And that's where I would become different and try and engage them differently and find a way to reach them, which is something you do in the an in-person classroom. We right. do that all the time as teachers. Yeah, you have yeah. to change your teaching. You cannot teach the same way every single year because you have different students. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I understand. Well, that's awesome to hear. And it sounds like you've got a great heart for students and you're willing to care for them on a one-on-one basis, which which I think is what kids need, especially the little ones. Um, so what are you most looking forward to with this new adventure that you're going on, teaching online with the new school and everything? Right? And that, that import person piece, I think, you know, we still haven't figured it totally out, but I think it's going to be an awesome thing for these kids to be able to come in two, three, four days a week and get that piece and be able to be with other kids, even though they're online. Well, I hope your experience with the, uh, with the new school you're going to goes really well. Online learning is definitely part of the future, and it's awesome that you're able to head it up. And uh, I wish you the best of luck with that new stage in your career. Thank you very much. So for this last segment, I want to look outwards a little bit. I want to think about those who are maybe listening to this podcast and try to help them. So um, 
I'd like to hear your opinions on, on what you'd recommend for maybe an 18 year old who's just graduating high school um, and how they can get into teaching and what sort of qualities they need to have. Well, I think, um, let me start with the qualities first. You gotta like kids, first thing. You gotta care about them. If you don't have that caring about kids, it's just not gonna be for you. Another one is flexibility. You gotta be able to be flexible. Things aren't always going to go the way you plan them, and you've got to be able to change them. Sometimes on the fly, sometimes sometimes you need to just stop and, okay, let's do something else, and we'll come back to this later and regroup and come back at a later time. So you just have to be really flexible and able to do that. Um, so I think those are the two biggest things is that flexibility and loving kids, maybe wanting to learn. And continue learning, that learning something that you're really passionate about would be a possible other thing that might help because things are always changing. I would hope that as a teacher you like to learn because your goal as a teacher is to help other people learn. And if you're not very good at learning, you're not very good at teaching people how to learn, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's really how it is. And, you know, and helping to, you know, show them that you're always learning so that it means something to those kids, you know. I don't know everything, you know, I keep learning and helping guide them to know how they can learn that way. Yeah, you know, they say, I don't know who they is, but they say that more is caught than taught, right? When when you talk about parenting or teaching young kids, kids learn more through what they see and how they see other people act than what they're being told to do. So that's why if you are a great human being and you have kids, your kids will turn out to be great human beings because they see how you act. Um, and they, they'll learn from that more so than what you tell them to do, if that makes any sense at all. So if, the, if your students see you as a teacher learning, questioning things, going through the scientific method, trying to figure things out, they'll learn through your example how to learn better than if you just tell them to read this and do that and solve this without showing them that it's, it's part of you and your life as well. And so I think what you mentioned there is a very important attribute of teachers. And that is that they need to learn. They need to be always learning and engaged in that process because that's going to rub off on their students. So thanks for bringing that up. And uh, how about some of the like logistical things? What what does an eighteen year old need to do to actually become a teacher? You know, because I didn't do it straight out. Of, I mean, I started straight out of high school, but I didn't continue. But there's a lot of great teaching programs out there. So look at the nearby colleges. Talk to a counselor at those colleges, and say, okay, I want to get here. This is my goal. What what kind of classes would help me get to there? And I really think that's the best place to start is to start with a counselor at one of those colleges. Maybe that college has a great program. Maybe they have a great starter program. Um, I started at junior colleges. It was cheaper, yeah. you know, and it gives the same kind of education. So that's the direction I went. And then just stick with it as long as you can. One thing I found is if you can intermix um, all those boring per se to some those classes those general ed classes that you have to do along with a cool elective that goes into your degree and make sure you're exploring a little bit of those see if that's what you you like maybe find some kind of job that works with kids as you're going through college to see if you really like that you know there's some that started out going into middle school and realized oh these older kids aren't for me i like the younger kids or i like the high school kids you you, you want to try out a couple of different things. Find a way to volunteer. Maybe volunteer in a nearby school and see what that's like. Unfortunately, probably right now, you know, it might not be as easy to volunteer, but eventually things are going to get to where you can start volunteering again and doing some of that type of stuff. So that's kind of where I would say for an 18-year-old. Now, if you're looking to switch careers, like you said, yep. which kind of, I guess you could say it was me. You know, I switched from being a stay-at-home mom to teaching. Yeah, yeah, that's a change. You know, that big change. Um, you can do it in so many different ways. If you're in another career and you already have your bachelor's degree, I'm sure lots of states have some kind of alternative route to um, becoming a teacher. You know, I know in Utah it's called ARL, which is Art 
alternative route to licensure. And so as long as you get accepted in that program, they help you get all the things that you need to um, work through to get that license, sometimes even while you're working. And you can get a job and do it, and you just have so many years to complete all the requirements and do that. Those, I think they have less that you can have at each school, and different schools have different requirements. So, you know, but that's a great way to get started. Or go back and get your master's in education if you already have a bachelor's. Or if you only have associates, oh, let's go get my bachelor's in education. But that's kind of what I would think. I mean, because I had the associates in computer science, and I had to go and finish my bachelor's in education before I started doing that. And then, you know, just a couple of years ago, I finished my master's in education so that, you know, it would just help me along my path. And why not keep learning? Well, that's awesome. And that's great advice for anyone looking to become a teacher, whether you're old or young or somewhere in the middle. I think I personally love teaching. And, and one day if I had the opportunity to teach, I would like to teach. Probably not little kids because that sounds challenging to me, but I'd love to teach high school or or a similar grade or even community college. I think teaching is a very noble career. And especially for those of you that teach the young kids, it takes it takes a really big heart, I can imagine. And it takes a lot of patience and love for these little innocent human beings that sometimes you, you don't think are so innocent. But uh <laughs> Anyway, thank you for your service as a teacher. I know we need a lot more teachers out there, and we need good quality teachers to help the next generation become uh, the best we've had yet. So thank you for putting all of your all into your teaching. And, uh, you know, I wish you the best of luck in, with your next adventure. Um, I want to ask one last question about this, and that's, you know, where do you see your teaching career in maybe five or ten years, and what do you hope to be doing at that point? You know, I'm not sure five or ten years because, like I said earlier, I kind of go by my feelings. But um, right now, I know I have I'm going to work for a principal who would love to help you continue and grow if that's your desire. I've done some leadership, and maybe I'll just move up some leadership that way and find where I like. I'm not sure I'm ready to leave the classroom yet. I've had so much fun there, but I will never, you know, deny that opportunity if that came around and it felt like the right thing to do that I'd move on up into, you know, different type of admin type positions as they came along. Well, awesome. Awesome. I hope it all works out for you, and I'm sure it will. You sound like a very competent, loving, engaged teacher. And, you know, you said it yourself. You love being around second graders more than you do parents. And, and that, that says a lot to me, at least personally. So uh, if there's somebody out there listening who, who wants to get in contact with you to talk about your teaching career and maybe learn more, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? And I can include, you know, any details in the description of this episode. Um, I do have my work email, which would be jennifer.palamine at jordandistrict.org. And that Jennifer is with one N and there's no E at the end of Palamine, which is a common mistake. Or you can always go search me as a second grade team lead at rockypeak.jordandistrict.org. And my contact information is there as well on that new website for that new school. All right. Thank you again for your time. I've really appreciated learning more about teachers. Thanks for having me.